Escape Pod 452 June 26 2014 Rebo Byron Gallagher Welcome to Escape Pod, weekly purveyors of science fiction audio wonderfulness and loyal minions of the robot lady. We serve at the pleasure of her terrifying emotionless drone. Hello everyone. By the way, before we get started, Mur and I are both going to be at LungCon this year. So if you're on this side of the pond and attending the convention, come say hi. We'll be the people whose faces you may never have seen before, but whose voices sound weirdly familiar. Our story this week comes from Aaron Gallagher, and your narrator is longtime friend of the show and fantastically talented author and general all-around awesome person, M.K. Hobson. So, settle down, get ready for a little rest, recreation, and repossession, because it's story time. Repo, by Aaron Gallagher. It took concentration to perform delicate work in the cumbersome gloves of the suit. The rounded fingers were metal-tipped and bulky. Elise painted the tips of her gloves with luminous paint for ease when working outside. The octopus found the wires and shorted the alarm. The device glowed green and she triggered the manual release. The door popped, expelling a breath or two of oxygen. Elise slipped into the airlock and closed it behind her, shutting the door on the endless black of space. The inside porthole looked into the cargo hold. She glided through the cargo room with three kicks. The heads-up on her helmet showed schematics in blue. She found the environmental control room. She flipped open the airtight seal on a container holding a large slab of green gel. She snapped open a metal vial and sprayed dark liquid onto the slab. She sealed the container, turned the machinery to full, and crouched by the door out of sight. At thirty minutes, Elise headed upstairs for the cockpit. Empty. She looked for the captain's cabin. In the captain's refresher, she found his body slumped in a large rubber bag. Great. He passed out in the shower. Elise wrestled the naked man out of the rubber shower. Round globules of water drifted round them. She pulled a sedative pad out of her bag and slapped it onto Holland's arm. The chemicals seeped into his bloodstream. He'd sleep twenty-four hours in a chemical coma. She left him in his bunk pouch, cinch closed around his neck. His balding head bobbed in the breeze from the vent. Back in the environmental control room, she worked the O2 scrubbers at full blast for thirty minutes. She broke seal on her helmet and sniffed the air, ready to clamp the helmet down the moment she felt dizzy. Clean. The ship was hers. Elise floated through the ship to familiarize herself. It didn't take long. It was a small beach skimmer, cargo capacity of around five metric tons. The craft was cylindrical with two floors, cargo, environmental, and engine room below. Main floor above was one long corridor, sixty meters long, with the cockpit at the fore, two staterooms to each side, a combination kitchen, dining room, and recreation area at the other end. The ship was roomy for one, comfortable with eight, rated for a maximum of sixteen. 
Down below, she examined the engines, because no pilot she knew ran a ship within recommended specs. The big beach was tuned up to 122% efficiency. She studied the specs to learn what he had done. She shook her head. Sure, he'd managed to coax more power from the big engine, but it would need an overhaul twice as often. She shut off the display with a shrug. They never thought of the bottom line. She finished her inspection and sealed her helmet. As she kicked out of the airlock, she paused to admire the view. It was worth admiring. Pluto, with her single sickly colony, the dock in orbit, half full of ships in port, lit like Vegas, and shining like diamonds on velvet. She slipped under adage to where her Betty was remoured to the hull and went inside. She plopped into the pilot's couch. All her controls were custom, larger than normal. She spent a lot of time in her suit. Only two hours had passed since she used thrusters to come alongside the bigger ship. She watched the displays as she worked the controls by feel. Her deft touch meant hardly a small thump when she triggered the electromagnet and sealed to the hull of the bigger ship. She looked around the small cabin, dingy with use. The Betty was a workship and looked it. She kept it neat, but it was still messy in that lived-in way. After a last look around, she grabbed her bag and thumbed the power-down sequence, keeping the power plant only alive enough to keep the electromagnet on and her wine unfrozen. In the cockpit, she entered her flight plan and engaged. Then she removed her suit. She shook herself out, tugged the simple gray ship suit straight. It was a relief to scratch. She scrubbed her fingers through her brown, freefall short hair. Her eyes itched from the low-humidity atmosphere of her suit. Twenty days from Pluto dock to lunar orbit. It took 140 minutes to get to full thrust. Elise rooted through Holland's stores. Among his other qualities, Ephraim Holland had surprisingly excellent taste in both wine and coffee. While the plastic didn't improve the flavor of either, it wasn't intrusive. She opened a box of 2105 Chateau Jaquim. She put a clip in the reader and stuck herself to the wall. She squeezed a globe of wine into the air and leaned forward to sip from the bubble. The reader displayed the text of Jane Eyre. Chapter 9, she said, and the reader skipped ahead. She crossed her legs and arms and got comfortable. Whoa. Holland! Holland! She slapped his cheek. What? What? Mumbles and grunts. Wake up, Holland! She patted his cheeks again. Where? What? His voice was slurry, drunk. You're in the bathroom, Holland. His eyes fluttered open. They flicked around the room. Sink, toilet, the bag shower, and Elise. What am I? What? His eyes were starry. He had blue eyes and shaggy blonde hair. You have fifteen minutes. Take a shower. You need that. Use the refresher. Drink some water. I'll give you some food. Then you go back to bed. He blinked at her. I... do I know you? His burry throat ground out the words, roughing their edges like freshly hewn pine boards. Nope. You gonna make good use of the time, or what? Wait. Will you just wait a second? He thrashed as he awoke more fully. Just wait! No, fifteen minutes, she said. 
Will you wait a sodding minute? Who the hell are you? Elise, she said, why do you care? He stared. Never mind, I don't care who you are. You turn me loose right now or so help me. She rolled her eyes. Yeah, you're scary. Do you need the refresher or what? Holland tried to raise his fists. His bound hands were not threatening. He looked down at them. He was cuffed. He was also naked. He looked up. It's easier to clean up if you mess yourself, Elise told him cheerfully. You, you stripped me? Nope, you are already naked. I found you in the shower. She looked at her chronometer, looked at him. Fine, fine, bitch, he said to the bulkhead. Watch your mouth. Hurry up. She floated backward out the door. And keep something in mind, Holland. What? My job would be far easier if I stuffed you in the recycler. She shut the door in his face. Fifteen minutes later, she rapped on the door. Come on out, slowly. The door opened and he drifted out. There's a pack of soup here if you want it. He grabbed the bulb. When he finished, she said, get in your pouch. Wait a minute. She showed him a double-shot holdout, loaded with low-velocity soft-nose ammo. It wouldn't pierce the walls, but it would do fine on him. Holland swallowed. He kicked to his pouch and climbed in. After he cinched the bag closed, she held out another sedative patch. He narrowed his eyes but said nothing. Good boy. See you tomorrow. She slapped it against his neck. In seconds, his eyelids drooped. She went back to the kitchen panel. He did stock good stuff. She wouldn't take from his ship, she was honest, but she would eat from it while on board. Cost of business, she figured. Lunar Control, this is outbound 625, Lewis, ready for departure. Wilder sent his all-clear to the station. Copy, Lewis, you're cleared. Safe one. Thanks, Lunar. Lewis out. He nudged the drive and pulled away from the dock lane, eased the ship into exit vector, and hit the go button. The five-second countdown gave him time to settle back. The thrusters fired, and an invisible hand pressed him into the plush seat. After an hour of hard thrust, the engines pulled back to a whisper. Gravity got off his chest, and he checked his board, all green. The cabin air was cool on his skin. He always launched naked if he could help it. A wrinkle five G's was a knife in your kidney, and you'd piss blood for a week. After fixing a drink, he studied the documentation. His target was a light freighter, last seen out near Pluto. The intelligence being days old, the ship was likely gone by now, but that was the place to start. As he floated in Lotus, the screen on the wall displayed a picture of the Beach Aerodyne private freighter Adage. Nine days in, Holland made a break for it. He managed to cut the plastic cuffs on the folded metal edge of the sink. He had been scoring them a little every day, and Elise hadn't seen the wear. When she left him to his business, he started the shower but did not get in. He twisted his wrists, grinned with pain, and the cuffs snapped. He tried hard not to pant. He played the water wand over the inside of the rubber shower bag to cover any sounds. He was out of shape. His muscles were slack, and his belly had gone a little round. Most pilots practiced isometric exercises, the only kind that work in freefall, but he hadn't kept up. It was too easy to float around. Dangerous. By the time you realized how much bulk you had built up, you were stuck in orbit. You went down a gravity well, and your heart stopped from the sudden strain. 
He braced against the wall and propelled himself through the door, hard. The plastic panel banged outward. He reached out for... for what? Elise watched him, startled, having just come from heating his meal in the kitchenette. Before he could orient on her, she drew on him. He glowered at the pistol. She dug into her pocket and tossed him another cuff. He had the sense not to fight. He cinched his wrists together, showed how tight they were, and went to his pouch. She waited until he was sealed in before she flew over with the new patch. Hey, he said, had to try, you know. No hard feelings, Ephraim. Good night. In a perverse fit of pique, she slapped the patch onto his forehead. His eyes rolled up to stare at it as he drifted off. After he was asleep, she fashioned an ankle cuff and a lead out of scraps in his repair bay. She floated his pouch to the refresher and secured the lead to the wall with pseudo-metal epoxy. At least he wouldn't be able to cause any more trouble. She kicked to the cockpit to check the radar. Ten days left until she pulled into Lunar Dock's orbit. There was a blip on the radar. She stared for a second. She zoomed in, tried to isolate the ident number. The speakers crackled, and a voice said faintly, Emergency! Emergency! The word set her teeth on edge and spiked her blood pressure. Emergency is a dirty word in space. She thumbed the transmit button and said, Unidentified pilot, this is... B she stumbled over the name. This is private vessel adage. What's the nature of your emergency? Static. Repeat, private vessel adage. A feedback whine cut her off, then, repeat, emergency. My oxy unit's screwed. I can't, I can't repair it, me. Anyone out there? She sent again. I hear you. Can you squawk ident? A hopeful voice responded. Is, are you there? I, I thought I heard someone, me. It was tinny but clear. She couldn't place his accent. I'm here. What's your situation? Thank God. My ship is the Lewis. I'm, I'm headed out of Luna, headed for Pluto and the belt, me. About two hours ago, my oxygen unit malfunctioned. I'm in a bad way. I don't suppose you're a mechanic. Not that kind. What happened? I'm not sure. I, I think my algae colony died. What? What happened to it? No idea, Adage. I changed it out at Callisto Base a week ago. Now it's dead. Sounds bad. I've never seen that happen. I guess there's a first time. Copy that, Adage. I don't suppose you have a spare. She scrolled through the ship's stores. Your lucky day, Lewis. I have a spare colony. You have to evac yours and purge the tank in case it's a virus. Well, I'm already suited. I can dump it and scour. I can pay for it, me. I'll be happy to pay for it. She could afford to be generous. Don't sweat it, Lewis. Call it goodwill. Your best bet's going to be exposing it to vacuum. Got any perishables? Not that I'm upset to lose under the circumstances, me. All right, I'll pull along. You do what you have to, and afterward I'll tether. You can wait it out in here. I'd suit up and help, but... No problem, Adage. I understand. You've already stuck your neck out. I'll stop and prepare for a hard dump, me. Roger, Lewis. Keep me posted. She thumbed off the link and watched the radar. The Lewis killed speed. She did the same. Adage slowed and came to a stop 30 kilometers off his port side. She pulled up what she could from the computer. Lewis was registered out of Luna, a rental, just like her mysterious visitor said, rated for prospecting. No red flags, no warrants. 
She never expected company out here, but no way could she cruise past someone with a life-threatening emergency. Many would, but she had to sleep every night. Holland wouldn't complain if she raided his stores. She'd have to explain right off who she was, but that was okay. She had the warrant and the badge. Wilder watched the ship, just in visual range, from inside his emergency suit. He hadn't planned on luck. Running across the adage en route like this was pure blind luck. His information showed that Ephraim Holland was captain of the adage. Maybe he'd brought a woman with him. It was a long way to earth. Quill hadn't said. Maybe he hadn't known. Didn't matter. He wasn't here to write a biography. He knew the oxygen plant story was thin, but he had been caught short and forced to improvise. Every ship carried an oxygen plant. Super-accelerated algae converted carbon dioxide and produced breathable oxygen. The generators were automatic and generally trouble-free. When trouble happened, most pilots never got beyond the check-the-manual stage. Wilder was not most pilots. He knew how the plant worked, how to change the colony out, and what kind of chemicals to keep away from it. Most ships carried a caustic epoxy puncture sealant he could use to kill it. He knew the setup seemed fishy. The pilot was wary but willing to help. Wilder waited until the conversation was over before he injected the sealant into the slab of algae. It started to blacken at the edges as the chemical colony died off. By the time he was ready to eject the mass, it was almost all black. He recorded it with his suit cam in case it came up in conversation. He scrubbed out the tub with a sterile cleaner. It was ready for a fresh colony. He double-checked the computer to make sure the ship would stay parked. He tugged the bio bag full of dead algae to the airlock and cycled out. He kicked the bag away toward deep space. He didn't admire the beautiful empty space around him. He fixed his gaze upon the adage and crossed the gap. She floated well back of the door as the airlock cycled. Her sidearm wasn't pointed at him, exactly. He peeled off his suit. His face was ruddy and rough, with a week of reddish beard. He wore a tight blue jumpsuit. He was a thin, muscular man, and she couldn't see a gun anywhere. His green eyes had circles under them. "'I'm Elise,' she said. "'Elise Rosemond.' "'Wilder. And thank you, Elise. You saved my life.' She smiled. His accent turned a simple phrase into something akin to a song, tempo rolling gracefully between soft syllables. He stared at the gun, but didn't comment. Welcome, and glad I could help. Where are you headed? He grinned. I was headed out to Caron. I saved for two years to get that boat. I'm out to be a prospector. I hope to strike it rich, me. His thickened accent distracted her. The trick served him well in the past. Some stereotypes died hard. Rough life in the belts, Elise said. So I hear. But I leased a ship, arranged for a dock, and I'm going to keep on till I hit, or I have to go home. Or you die. He frowned. Well, yeah, I suppose. Elise put her gun back in the clamshell holster at the small of her back. She kicked toward him with her hand out. He took it gratefully. Welcome aboard, Mr. Wilder. Just Wilder is fine, me, thanks. It'll be a minute while I dig out the new slab. Meantime, you hungry? He nodded. Yes, ma'am. Funny, two hours ago I was sure I was gone. Now I'm famished. Come on, she led him to the galley. She displayed several food packets and a bottle of wine. He chose, and she set them cooking. While they waited, Wilder said, You've got a nice ship. It's not mine, Elise said. Huh? I've got the owner tied up in his bathroom. Uh-huh. 
He eyed her warily. He held very still. She smiled. It's okay. I have a warrant. What? It threw him off. He almost lost the accent. I'm a property retrieval technician. I'm licensed to intercept and apprehend. Wilder blinked. You're a bounty hunter? Kind of. The machine chimed and she pulled out their meals, parked them in the air, and sipped from her bulb. Wow. So that's why the gun? Necessary precaution. You never know, do you? Yeah, I see what you mean. What'd the guy do? Does it matter? She smiled. It was enough to get me out here, and I don't work cheap. I see, he said. Try the wine. It's not bad. He sipped from his clear bulb of wine. He nodded in appreciation. Good. He looked around. Where's the guy? Like I said, refresher in his cabin. He'll sleep anesthetized for the rest of the trip. Anesthetized? She nodded. I used a surgical disc. It induces chemical unconsciousness. Wilder ate some beef stew. Well, that's pretty handy. I think so. Can I see him? Why? She nibbled a pastry. Well, I don't know. Curiosity? About what? Well, he said, you say you're here to get the guy. I never heard of that, me. It sounds fishy, you know, a little creepy. You're welcome to go back to your ship, she said. He put up his hands. No, no, I'm not. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just, this is weird, you know. I'm a dirt buster. I took a six-week course in piloting and survey. I'm not really a spaceman, me. Elise said, yeah, well, I have a warrant. I'm a duly appointed representative. Appointed? By who? Never mind, she said. What's with all the questions? Nothing. I got time to kill me. Elise finished and tossed the containers into the recycler. She said, come on, then. Wilder followed. He watched her go, eyes on the gun. Grabbing it was risky. Try it, or wait for another opportunity. They hovered in the air before Ephraim Holland. She watched Wilder poke the man. Wow, he's out. Yep, she didn't move. Well, okay. He turned to look at her appraisingly. So, can I get some more stew? Sure, Elise said. Come on. She turned away. He caught her from behind and encircled her neck with one arm pressed the tip of a small knife against her throat. It lived inside the sleeve of his suit, which looked cheap and disposable, and was neither. No sudden moves, he said. I don't want to hurt you, but I will. The patois was gone. She smiled, though he couldn't see it. I could say the same to you, she replied. He felt movement at his belly as she cocked the pistol. He had been so busy at her neck he missed the draw. They rotated in the air. Well, well. You'll shoot me? She nodded. If you cut my throat, you die. If you don't get that knife off my neck, you die. Either way, you die. Which would you prefer? Tough call. You have five seconds to get that knife off my neck, mister. Wilder said, seems like a bad deal. I let you go. You shoot me anyhow. I won't if I don't have to, Elise said. One, Wilder pushed off. Elise spun. The gun never left his midsection. Toss the knife here. He floated the knife to her. She grabbed it. It was hardened ceramic hull shielding, small and permanently sharp. The hull material from which it was constructed repelled micrometeors, and Diamond couldn't score it. She put it in her belt. That was ballsy. You stupid? Calculated, Wilder said. You don't seem the type to shoot me in cold blood. You said so. You sure? You wouldn't have stopped to help if you were. 
You could have ignored me or waited until I ran out of air and salvaged the ship. I'm not interested in what you have. She nibbled her lip. What are you really out here for, Wilder? Is it, Wilder? It is. I'm here for the same reason you are. Elise shook her head. No way. They don't double book a job like this. I don't think it's a double book. I think we're just two working stiffs with different bosses who want the same package. That's too bad for you. So it seems. Wilder crossed his arms. Now what? Is your oxygen unit shot or was that a line? Had to make it look good, Wilder said. Killed the colony myself, though. No accident. Elise nodded. The stamp of verisimilitude. Right, Wilder said. I like to cover my bases. So you have a spare? No, Wilder admitted. I don't. This was a last-minute plan. You either don't think ahead, or you have an overdeveloped sense of optimism, she said. I prefer to think of it as motivated self-interest, he said. If I had a back door, I might be tempted to use it. Ship stores are two doors down. Get your slab and get off this ship. Really? Elise nodded. Why? he asked. Does it matter? I don't want to kill you. Besides, I said I would. I keep my word. Thank you for that, he said. She didn't know whether to trust his sincerity. Let's go, she gestured. He set off down the hall. She kept distance between them. He pulled the slab out of the storage rack and turned to look at her. She motioned for him to come out. They floated back to the airlock. He let go of the slab to pull on his suit. She wasn't surprised when he drew a pistol from his suit. Over the barrel of her pistol, she watched him aim. They both laughed. Doesn't change a thing, she said. Maybe, maybe not. You might not hit me. Same goes for you. Look, he snarled, this is pointless. Let it go and walk away. You seem like a nice girl. I don't want to have to kill you. I guarantee my bosses are a lot nastier than yours. I'll go all the way to the wall. If you do kill me, then what? Who's to know? I clean up, jettison the trash, and continue on my merry. Over, done with, gone. Never happen, he said. You're soft. She laughed at him. Wilder, you don't know me. A judgment based on a single day's knowledge like to get you killed. The gun never moved. I was happy to help out someone in distress. I'm just as happy to remove a threat or a competition. Now get in your suit and get the hell off this ship before I shoot you for the hell of it. Wilder didn't blink. She didn't flinch. Look, he stopped, embarrassed. He raised eyebrows at her. Elise, she supplied. Right, Elise, I'm sorry, I won't forget again. He looked pained. But you're in an untenable position, and I'm about to lose my patience. You don't want that to happen. Make your move, tough guy, she said. You don't want to piss me off, girl, Wilder said. Jam your condescension, she said. He was certain he could put two through her, but he wasn't close enough to the wall or floor to kick out of her way. He estimated maybe a ten percent chance to avoid a fatal shot. She watched him nerve himself for the shot. Her attention focused on his trigger finger. One twitch, and she would put a bullet in his head, followed by two more. Don't try me, she warned. He laughed. I've had enough of your mouth. Zip it, jerk. Harpy, sleaze, you don't get it, Wilder said. You don't win this, girl. And you don't get away with all your brain cells, boy. Their patience broke at the same moment. I'm taking this ship, she snapped. I'm taking Holland, he snarled. A long, quiet moment passed. What? they both said and laughed again. You're here for the ship? I'm here for him, Holland, Wilder said. We're all bollocked up because of a miscommunication. 
You drew first, Wilder. That's no miscommunication, Elise said. I'm here for the ship. Holland decided he didn't have to pay for the rest of his lease. Are you serious? He guffawed. Yes. He lowered his gun and tossed it to her. She snagged it with her left hand. Her pistol never wavered from his head. He put up his hands. If I'd known, I'd just have said no games. He smiled. I don't see any reason to fight. She didn't move. You can put yours down now, he said. Why? Because I gave you mine. I would have... Why do you want him? She clarified. Does it matter? He countered. You don't need him. It has to be a pain to keep him quiet. She allowed that it was that. So let me have him. I slagged my oxygen unit because I thought I'd set a beacon on my ship and fly his back. Give me Holland and the replacement slab and I'll be on my way. Everyone wins. She considered. It would solve some problems, she replied. But what did he do? Wilder shook his head. Even if I knew, that wouldn't be part of the deal. Client privilege. As it happens, I don't know. My interest began and ended when my boss said, Fetch. I don't know what he did, and I don't care. Cold-blooded, aren't you? Elise, it's a job. I'm sure you've done things you didn't want just because the money said so. No difference here. They sent me to find Ephraim Holland, and I did. The question now is, what'll it take for you to hand him over? Money? I have some. She sniffed. I won't take money, not for a person. That's not what I do. You draw the line in strange places, if you don't mind my saying, Wilder said. It's my line to draw. So it is, he replied. I didn't mean to offend you. It was a legitimate offer. Elise lowered her gun. I want some wine. You want some wine? What's your deal with wine? he asked. She shrugged. You know what gets recycled on a small ship. I don't drink the water unless I have to. Reasonable. I knew a pilot once who wouldn't eat food that wasn't artificial. He didn't trust real food. Everyone's got a bug about something, Wilder said meditatively. What's yours? Oh, he said. I have a problem with rice. Rice? Yeah. When I was a boy, I had a dog used to sleep under my bed. You know how little kids are. Slipped my mind. Two or three days, I remember, I used to have a dog. I looked under my bed, not there, under the porch. I thought he was moving. I thought maybe he was sick. I pulled him out and realized he was dead. Maggots. Wilder shuddered. Since then, I have a problem with rice. Sorry. Don't worry about it. They passed a globe of white wine back and forth in the kitchenette. She handed him his pistol. You're trusting, he said, but thank you. Not that trusting. Elise shook her head. You don't get the clip until you leave. He looked down. Sure enough, she'd palmed the ammunition. He laughed. Nice move, that. Thank you. Listen, he started. Earlier we got a little rough with each other. I wanted to apologize. I try not to be rude unless it's necessary. She smiled. It was all an act intended to intimidate the helpless little girl, is that it? You're not helpless. Yes, though. I don't have hard feelings. He stuck out his hand. She thought about it for a second, then shook with him. They both had firm grips. Thank you for the apology, she said. I meant every word I said, by the way. He laughed, and she smiled. After a moment or two, she said, What happens to him? I told you, I know what you told me. She cut him off. Don't bullshit me. Probably he'll die, Wilder said. I don't know the particulars. She rolled her hand in the air. 
If it were simple, I'd be here to kill him. I wouldn't need to get aboard for that. I could kill him anywhere or hire it done wherever he stopped. They send me, or men like me, when they're particular about the how. You don't strike me as a thug. I'm whatever my employer needs me to be. So the question is, can I live with that? She toyed with her wine. That's the question, he agreed. She drained the bulb. Yeah, she said, I'm pretty sure that I can. All right, Wilder said. Good deal. First thing, we need to get your life support up. You want to start that, or don't you trust me here alone? Wilder shook his head. That's fine. Shouldn't take me but an hour. I'll get our boy suited and ready to go. Let me know when, and I'll float him over. Good enough, he said. At the lock, he slipped into his suit. He dogged the helmet, grabbed the sealed slab, and cycled the airlock. She watched him go. The moment he was out the lock, she kicked for the bedroom, moving fast. The radio crackled as Wilder pressed the chin plate in his helmet. Installed. I'm activating the colony now. Roger that. Holland is suited. He waited until the board went green. As soon as he confirmed the algae would bloom, he headed for the airlock. Outside, he jetted toward the adage. He rounded the hull to find Elise was already outside the airlock, with Holland's suit trailing along behind her. She hadn't seen him approach, exactly as he intended. He emergency burned his suit jets and collided with her. She bounced off the aft of the adage with a scream. He stopped his momentum. Sorry, but I decided I want the ship, too, Wilder said. He snagged Holland's tether. Breath fog obscured the man's faceplate. He watched Elise drift across the hull. She swore as she bounced. Sorry, sweetheart, but I won't drag this guy back only to find what the boss is after was in the ship the whole time. He tapped a control on the suit sleeve. He had pre-programmed the Lewis to activate thrusters to put more kilometers between itself and the adage out of reasonable range of Elise's suit thrusters. The Lewis pulled away. He shook his head. Bad luck for her. You shouldn't have trusted me, he said. The channel crackled, and her calm voice said, I didn't. The suit is empty. He grabbed for Holland's suit. He could tell as soon as he shook it that it was true. She must have stuffed a damp cloth in the helmet to fog the glass. Where is he? In a muffled voice, Elise said, I told you, I don't need him. I jettisoned him without the suit. Wilder thought hard. She'd be trying to get back inside the adage, of course. He thrust toward the airlock. He sealed it from the inside so she couldn't follow. He headed for the second airlock, aft. When it was sealed, he covered the inside of the vessel as thoroughly as he could. She wasn't in the ship. He went into the cockpit. He hoped he could put a quick end to her. She had shown him mercy. He couldn't let her live, out of the question. A quick scan showed the adage carried no weapons. Maybe he could orient the engines and crisp her. It was a quick death, preferable to asphyxiation. He said as much. You're all hurt, you son of a bitch, she spat. But I'll take my chances. Please yourself, he said. It's a dead end either way. I thought I'd give you a quicker way out. Calm static. No smart-ass comments? No reply. No begging? Good. He smiled. I like a woman with dignity. It's just bad luck, Elise. Believe me, I am sorry. Silence. I'll record a message for someone back home if you want. The silence grated. Come on, Elise, no last words. I thought you had more pluck than that. The speaker crackled. Nice ship you have here, Wilder. 
Elise said. Not sure about the decor. A bit cramped, were you? He ground his teeth. Somehow she had made it to the Lewis? No matter. Even with Holland dead, he might still salvage the mission. Don't see many ship-to-ship -ship missiles on runabouts this small. By the way, how far do you think you'll get before I blow you apart? Elise's voice gave away her smile. Wilder growled, what do you want? You know what I want. I want the ship. I couldn't care less about you. I don't want to destroy the ship, and I don't want to kill you. But you have what I want, and that drops your stock significantly. We work it out, or I blow you to atoms and sell this ship on Phobos. They're always looking for ships. Even if I felt like it, what makes you think I won't just blow you up after the exchange? I'll shut down all your non-essentials except life support and emergency power. You'll have to power up before you can get to the weapon systems. That gives me minimum 20 minutes to get gone. We're seriously going to do this, he asked. I'm almost back now. I'll meet you there. Fine. The woman had been fair with him. Even he would admit she had been fairer than he deserved. So much the worse for her. She was waiting outside the airlock, well out of combat range. Get a move on, Wilder, she said, and you'd better make sure I don't see you on my screens again. Don't worry, he said. You won't see me coming. The implication hung there. She gestured, and he activated his suit thrusters. Sooner or later, he said to himself, sooner or later. Elise watched him go. She didn't trust him as far as the end of her nose. Once he was aboard the Lewis, he'd see her bluff. She hadn't been aboard his ship at all. She scrambled into the airlock. She needed to move. She readied the ship. Time was short. As soon as he reached the Lewis, he realized something was wrong. The cockpit was dim, but the readout panels glowed with full power. The systems were fine. Checking the main screen, he saw he had full power and a clean atmosphere. She hadn't powered the systems down. She hadn't been in his ship at all. He laughed aloud. I can't believe I bought that. Okay, so I was bluffing. Her reply came over the open channel. Sue me. What's to stop me now, Elise? He asked. I've got all the marbles. I don't know. Goodwill, she replied. I've been straight with you, Wilder. You could just walk away. Sweetheart, you don't know me very well. Strapped into the pilot's chair, he reached out and readied his weapons. Oh, I know you better than you know me. That's so? Yes, Wilder, that's so. She sounded distracted. Well, then, tell me what you know. He turned off the safeties. You just powered up your missiles, Elise replied. Good guess. Thank you. Now it's your turn. Want to guess what I'm doing? Wilder narrowed his eyes. Go ahead, speak. Elise's voice was playful. What? What's your game? Wilder sounded startled over the open calm. Oh, sorry, Elise said. That wasn't for you, Wilder. Go ahead, Holland, Elise said. Say hi. Wilder clenched his fists as the hesitant voice, slurred but unintelligible, said, Hello, hello, Wilder. Did Mr. Quill send you? I'll be a son of a bitch, Wilder said. How? Elise retorted. Does it matter? I've got Holland. I've got the ship. You blow up the ship, you lose. You need him alive, right? You raised on a busted flush, Wilder. Call it a learning experience and let it go. Turn your ship toward Pluto and burn hard. Her voice tightened. You have ten seconds. Don't try to bluff me again. Adage has no weapons. Sure, you fooled me with the suit trick, but you can't fool your way around a missile. If you're so sure, Elise said, fire. 
You've got no chance, Wilder said. I can do whatever I want. You're out of this. If you're sure, then make your play. Five seconds, Wilder. No deal, bitch, he said, and heated up a missile. Quill wanted Holland alive, but would settle for his death. He could still count this as a success. He readied the missile. Before he could launch, the calm relayed her last words to him, Watch your mouth. As he reached for the firing stud, the Betty shot around the hull of Adage. She closed the distance and fired her own missile at Wilder's ship. He had just a moment to realize what happened. Jesus! The Lewis was a fireball. In the cockpit of Betty, Elise shut down her weapon systems. She craned her head to look at Holland. She had taken the sleep-inducer off him and slapped him awake to speak to Wilder. She gambled on that, but it paid off. It kept Wilder stunned long enough for her to get the Betty moving. Holland clung to the wall. Ready to head back, she said. I have a choice. He was very still. You have two choices. Go home or stay here. Elise gestured at the debris field. The cloud of scrap didn't resemble a ship at all. Holland had made his choice already. There were times to press your luck and times not to press your luck. It seemed to him that all the recent times not to press his luck involved this woman. Ma'am, if it's all the same to you, I'd like to go home. She smiled and tossed him a fresh patch. He slapped it on his neck without comment and went limp. She brought the Betty back around and reattached it to the underside of the adage. Elise shut down again. She walked Holland through the airlock and sealed it. Once he was back in bed, she resumed course for lunar orbit. After the initial burn, she drifted into the kitchenette, liberated some more of Holland's wine, and settled in to finish Jane Eyre. Eight days later, she guided the adage into a private facility on Luna's far side. After docking, she transferred Holland to the Betty and eased her ship away. She backed out of the hangar, swung around to the bright side, and pulled into her berth. Two men dressed in military blues met her at the dock. They took Ephraim Holland from her. "'Welcome back, Elise,' the older man said. "'Good to be home,' she replied. "'The ship's delivered, and he's alive,' she said. "'Make sure I get the bonus.' "'Absolutely,' Smith said. "'The younger of the two said, "'Any trouble out there?' "'Nah,' she said with a shrug. "'Nothing to speak of.'" <laughs> There's all sorts of ways Aaron plays with the idea of possession and property in here. First off, there's the fight over both Ephraim and his ship. One is a piece of property that isn't fully paid for, the other is a man who is clearly not a Lannister. The tug of war over them is a really interesting and often very funny one. Aaron writes people how they talk and it's a pleasure to hear. But then there's the other elements that change hands. Control is obvious. Wilder and Elise go back and forth over who has control of the situation and, by extension, each other, but there's something subtler underneath all that. The entire story is predicated, for me, on two separate preconceptions and how the characters respond to them. The first is that Elise is the weaker of the two bounty hunters because she's a woman. The second is that Wilder, all smiles until he isn't, is far too much of a gentleman to kill a woman. This is brilliantly handled stuff, Elise is on the back foot for most of the middle chunk of the story, but never lets it show. 
She wins, ultimately, because of Wilder's assumptions. He thinks she's going to act a certain way, and that gives her freedom to act a different way altogether. It's not even psychological Aikido. It's just someone who is aware enough to not only know who they are, but how exactly they can use others' preconceptions against them. Plus, there's the fact that Elise sees in Wilder everything she could be and chooses not to be, especially regarding the idea of murder. Well, of murder of an unarmed man. It's an interesting, quiet, nuanced, ethical stand she takes, but it's no less brave than that. Plus, I'm totally remembering the damp rag in the suit trick. Then there's poor old Wilder, who is, in the end, killed by a combination of honesty and being very stupid. He's honest enough to realise that, yes, he does actually want to screw Elise over, no, he doesn't mind killing her, and that he really likes money. He's stupid enough to not realise she's already working his own preconceptions against him. I especially like how Aaron makes it clear the two get on, that there's maybe even a little bit more than mutual respect there, but neither of them let that get in the way. This is Holmes and Adler in space, with missiles, and it's huge fun as a result. Thanks, Aaron. And thank you, because as Commander Sandra Bernhardt of the USS 80s comedy once said, without you we're nothing. We rely on you to pay our authors and cover our server costs, so if you like this story, please go to escapepod.org and click on Donate to Escape Pod. I really should get a theremin or a Venture Brothers overseer voice for that. Donate to Escape Pod! Ignore me! And do keep sending us suggestions for ways to make that button sound less dull. Please, it'll help. I swear we'll pick one soon. You can either donate any amount or subscribe from as little as two bucks a month. Pass on that, Mr. Goodbar. It's just a Hershey's with peanuts in anyway. This'll do you more good. And us. Now, here's Nathan with some feedback. Greetings and salutations, Escapodians. Assistant Editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 448, Paprika by Jason Sandford. This was the story of an adorable little girl robot hologram thing that will cheerfully destroy the last remaining simulation of you and everything you love to make a philosophical point. Reaction was, to the surprise of some, pretty solidly negative, with most people finding the time scale to be distracting and the sprawling plot to be a little too wide-ranging. Albion Moonlight, for example, said, I like the overall world. Speculative fiction is at its best when it addresses questions like how society would react to effective immortality and even how cool it would be if a toy train could run forever. But I had a bit of a problem with the flow. It, it sort of seemed ready to end when Satoshi died and Paprika wandered the earth, but then it, it didn't. And I liked the ending where the idea of fun and play and toys were encoded into the life of the planet, but it didn't seem to flow from the overall narrative. It was more kind of an addendum. In short, I liked all the pieces, but I didn't quite like how the pieces fit together. It wasn't a universal route, though. A resident forum contrarian, unblinking, among others, enjoyed the story, saying, I thought the question of whether you were really immortal if a copy of you lives on was an interesting one. I thought the conflict between Paprika and the other time angels was also interesting. I thought the resolution of the long-term effect of her tweaking the Whisper Willows was pretty cool. Unlike others, I found the timescale not only pointless, but a large and intriguing part of the story. Sure, I can't comprehend it directly, but that's kind of the point. If you can understand everything in a post-human story, then it's not a very good post-human story. The only reason that centuries of isolation seems terrible to us is because we live in a timescale where that's lifetimes. Well, that's all for this week. 
Join us in 500,000 years when we run the comments for episode 449. See you at... Well, not, not you exactly, but certainly a convincing imitation. Then. Thanks, Nathan. Next week. Next week. Clifford Mother Jeffing Simak, which is not what the M in Clifford Simak stands for, but it could be he's that much of a badass. In the Grove of the Dancing Deer by Clifford M. Simak, read by Norm Sherman himself, is up next week. In the meantime, Escape Pod remains a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Our quote this week comes, where else, from Repo Man. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly someone will say plate, or shrimp, or plate of shrimp, out of the blue. No explanation, and there's no point in looking for one either. It's all part of the cosmic unconsciousness. Time for us to return to the cosmic unconsciousness. We'll see you next week. <laughs>